chapter 15 today, Romans 15. We've been going through the study in Romans since the beginning of the year. We're getting towards the end of um, the study. Next week we're going to be closing out with chapter 16, but today in uh, chapter 15 Paul is really putting a close on some of the things that he's been talking to us about since chapter 12. He's preparing for the closing to the Roman church. Where did this church come from? It seems that it came from nowhere because really the Roman church wasn't planted by the disciples or the apostles. Uh, it wasn't planted by someone going up there like Paul to plant the church. Remember, Rome was a Gentile area. And so even though there were Jews in that region, uh, they weren't uh, exactly following Jesus at the time. They were dwelling as Jews in that area. In Acts chapter 2, an event took place that we are all very familiar with when the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And so when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. So paraphrasing, they left, they started speaking in foreign languages. They left the building, went out into the street, and they were speaking in other languages. And this was a shock, obviously, to the people who were there. Uh, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, verse 5, Jews, devout men from every nation under God. So these were Jews that were coming from other nations that were there in Jerusalem for a feast. The Feast of Weeks, it was called. It was dictated in Leviticus 23, 16. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So this was a feast that was ordained by God and said, okay, you're going to do this. It's called uh, the Feast of Weeks. And it's the first offering of grain to the Lord from the, the grain that's being harvested. And so now they take that and they're going to offer that uh, to the Lord as an offering. So all of those people were there in Jerusalem at the time. All of these Jews came from all the other nations and they heard these believers that were now out in the street. And when they heard the sound of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and all of them preaching in different 
tongues, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, look, uh, saying to one another, look, are these not all who speak Galileans? So they recognized the fact that these were Galileans. These were farm people. You know, uh, here we would say, oh, they're, um, you know, they're from Gila Bend. Uh, you know, who... Who are these people that all of a sudden have been, uh, you know, going out there and speaking in other languages? People in Gila Bend don't speak. Well, they do speak in another language. I don't understand. So how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Lamites and, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. They're all hearing these people speak in their own language, Ferga and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are non-Jews that became Jews, and here they are from Rome visiting in Jerusalem at the time of this event, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they saw the hand of God at work in these people, in these disciples. So now what happens when they hear that 3,000 were saved that day? How many of those 3,000 were from Rome. Probably a good group of them, a good size group came down from Rome because this was a Roman province and so probably a large group came down from Rome to worship there at Jerusalem. So this may have been the start of the Roman church. I'm making, I'm speculating here. Um, but it has a lot of validity to it. There's a, a lot of truth that can be um, supported by this because of 3,000 people becoming believers that day. They took what they learned and they went back to Rome. It wasn't that someone went there and planted a church and started teaching them. They took it with them. And uh, some of those disciples... Uh, may have been early disciples that were in Jerusalem and went with them to Rome and said, hey, we'll go with you. We'll, we'll continue to... Because remember, the disciples, we're not talking about the 12 apostles. We're talking about disciples. There were 125 in that upper room at the time when the Holy Spirit came. And so many of those probably left also. Remember, when this took place, the oppression of the Romans came down heavier on the Christians at that time. The oppression of the Jews came down heavier on the Christians at that time. Because these were people saying Jesus is the Messiah, and just like Jews today, they didn't believe it. They said, no, that's not the Messiah we expected. We expected the Messiah to come down, wipe out our enemy, set up his kingdom, put a throne here in Jerusalem, and then make us all kings. 
that's what they were really expecting. But that isn't what took place. So they were mocking Christians, believers in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And when they went up to Rome, back to Rome, where they came from, they took the truth of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ back with them. And they planted a church there without purposefully doing it. It wasn't their intention, uh, but they did it. And we know Paul is now writing to that church. He's saying, okay, you are the church. Remember um, in Romans chapter 1, when he started, he said first uh, in verse 8 in Romans 1, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness with whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I made mention of you in my prayers. And so Paul is praying for this group of believers that their faith was known throughout the world, it says. Well, this letter was written from Corinth about 57 AD. So this is many years after the crucifixion. And so they had time to develop or lose what they believed. You see, just like Christianity is being diluted right now in the United States, there are many people that are now adding their flair to Christianity, adding what they believe to Christianity instead of saying, this is the scripture I'm going to believe what scripture says. I'm going to trust in the truth of the word of God. And I'm not going to go to the left or the right. I'm staying right on the path of what the word of God says. Here's the thing. If we can't trust the word of God, then there's nothing we can trust. Because anything else is man's opinion. We can't trust man's opinion of the word of God either. I don't even expect you to trust what I say. I want you to be Bereans. I want you to go to your word and look it up yourself and check to make sure what I'm saying is true. That's the way that you get built up in the Lord. That's the way that you get strengthened in the Lord because I can teach the truth, and it can be 100% the truth, you wouldn't know if it was only 95% the truth unless you checked for yourself. And that's why I encourage everyone, go back, look, make sure that what I'm teaching is accurate, 100% accurate, because you have the same Bible I have. You have the same text that I have. I'm just adding a lot of words to what's already there. So, you know, I'm plagiarizing here, uh, but it's okay. God doesn't mind. So in chapter 16, we're reading about, we will read about a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And this was a couple that Paul ran into uh, in Corinth that were kicked out of Rome. They were kicked out of Rome because Claudius Caesar 
kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so this couple went to Corinth and they worked in Corinth as tent makers. And Paul ran into them there and saw that they were like-minded in Christ and said, oh, let's work together. And they worked together. He joined with them and they worked together. They had a church in their house. And so Paul said, oh, this is great. You know, we can work together. We can minister together. You have to remember, during this time, what's going on in Jerusalem, as Christians become believers in Jesus Christ, as the Jews leave their faith to become believers in Jesus Christ, something happens to them they are ostracized from the temple, from the, the Jews, their culture. Uh, you're not a Jew anymore. You're not faithful to us anymore. And we're not going to buy anything from you. We're not going to let you buy anything from us. And so as these Christian enclaves were developed, uh, they were cut off from the market and they weren't able to go and do what they were doing before and earn a living. Many of them gave up their living to become believers and follow Jesus Christ. And so these cup, this couple, they had a, a gift to, you know, of making tents, a talent. And so they can go anywhere and just make tents and be able to sell them, especially if they're in um, Gentile areas. They go to Gentile regions, they're not going to be ostracized like the Jews were in Jerusalem. So uh, it, it caused so much division in Jerusalem that people weren't able to survive there as Christians. And that's why the dispersion really took place is because they had nowhere else to go. They had to leave and they had to go somewhere else. So 1948, they all came back from that dispersion. They all started moving back in. And people, even amidst what's taking place today in Jerusalem, there are people that still want to go back there. There are Jews all over the world that still want to go back and live there, even though this is taking place. You would think this would cause people to flee. It's not. It's causing people to want even more to be there with their people and to join with them during this time. So here, you know, um, this couple may have also been in Jerusalem since they were devout Jews, before they became believers, they may have been there part of that 3,000. And uh, they then got saved and went back home to Rome and planted the church there and started with the other believers, um, started the church there. So we don't know. That's a little bit of speculation, but it makes a lot of sense based on where they came from and the timing of being cast out of Jerusalem, going to Corinth, and uh, then uh, being there in Corinth with Paul. So um, he was 
probably excited to see for himself how the church was doing, Paul, you know, and so he wanted to get out there and see. These are Paul's travel plans. That's our message for today. It's titled, Paul's Travel Plans. So in verse 22, we read, For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul was hindered from coming to them because of all of the ministry he was doing. This wasn't like uh, when Daniel met with the angel and the angel said, I was hindered from coming. I was tied up with the prince of Persia and I wasn't able to make it. Michael had to come and help me so that I was able to come to you. So from the time that your prayer went out, I started coming, but I was hindered for 14 days and he wasn't able. That isn't that kind of hindered. The thing that's hindering Paul is the ministry that he's currently involved in. When we make a commitment to the Lord to be involved in ministry, when we say, you know what, Lord, I feel that you're leading me into this ministry. I can see that you're opening the doors for me to be in this ministry And I believe I have confirmation that that's what you want me to do. Then it's our job to carry it out till we're done doing what God wants us to do. Quite often people give up because it starts to get rough. Because the ministry didn't work out the way they expected it to. No ministry does. I've seen ministries that started out with just a small group of people and all of a sudden exploded. And, you know, it's like, wow, how did that happen? God. And then I've seen ministries that started out and it just was tough. It was slow growing. And and I've been in that ministry for 12 years now watching what God is doing. But you know what? In both situations, God is in control. It's not that their ministry was led by God because obviously the numbers prove that. Uh, That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with, am I willing to be faithful with whatever God puts in front of me and the work that God puts in front of me? That isn't just for pastors. That isn't just for missionaries. It's for every single believer in Jesus Christ. Whatever God calls us to do, we should do to the fullest until it's complete. Until we fulfill God's plan, whatever that is. And once we see that, then we can move on. Paul was doing that very thing. This is what he was called to do. He's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it. And that's what was causing him not to leave and to go do something else because he was hindered by the fact that he had this work to do. He had to finish it. He was on his third missionary journey right now. And he was going to fulfill what he needed to fulfill. For this reason, 
excuse me, verse 24. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And so now he's telling the Romans his plan. Remember, he hadn't been to Rome yet. So he's writing this letter to them, telling him what his plans are. Isn't it fun to tell God what your plans are? <laughs> you know, God, th these are my plans. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes, well, they have to be good plans because they include God, right? You know, my plans are to buy this, I'm, go I'm gonna buy a stretch limo and I'm gonna pick up all my friends to come to church. So God, obviously, it must be a good thing. It's a God thing. I'm picking up my friends to go to church, you know? And stretch limo, I can fit a lot of people in it. You know, and, and, and so we can justify things in our own head that may not be what God has planned. No, get the Ford Focus and get the few people, and that way you can have more intimate conversations with them on the way to church, you know, and, and, and it'll be a little closer. No, I don't want to focus. I want the limo. You know, and we can kind of tell God, this is what we want. Bless it, Lord. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, ask for forgiveness after you mess up. And so Paul had a desire to go. He was really following the lead of the Spirit in his heart to do this. He just didn't know all the details. Remember Philip, when he was told, go out to the desert, go down this road, and Philip's like, okay, where do you want me to go? You know, just go down the road. Don't worry. I'll tell you what to do. You know, and he goes down the road. And then there's the Ethiopian in a chariot that's going down. He says, all right, see that chariot over there? Go ahead and overtake it. All right. You know, he didn't say, can you give me more details? We would do that. You know, fill me in. Why am I doing this? What, how, what benefit am I going to get out of doing this? You know? No, he just said, okay, I'll go. And he, he goes, and, and here's the Ethiopian in the chariot, and he's reading Isaiah. And, and Philip didn't say, what now, Lord? He didn't. He just looked and said, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, get up here. And then he shared with him, look, this is who that's about. The Ethiopian said, hey, is it about, you know, you, him, me, what, you know, what is this about? What is, uh, what, what is this talking about? And then he got the truth. And when he heard it, he said, well, let's stop. I want to get baptized. And so Philip goes and baptizes him. And when he's bringing him up out of the water, he disappears. He wouldn't have had that experience had he done it his way. He wouldn't have had the full God experience if he didn't listen to every step that God led him through. You see, because as soon as you know the end game, oh, 
God, you want me to plant a church and to do this and to do that? Okay, well, I'll do it. I'll fill in all the details. We fill in the details if we know the end of the story. Better to just get the next step. Okay, Lord, you want me to take one step with my left foot and I'm going to do that. Okay, I didn't tell you to move your right foot. Oh, and, and I took one step. Now you can move your right foot. And then we're walking the way Jesus wants us to walk. And that's the best way to do it. Paul was doing that. He still had hopes and dreams. He still had desires to go to Rome. He's a Roman citizen. Of course he wants to go to Rome to see that place that everyone's talking about. He wants to go. He wants the opportunity because remember, Paul's heart was for the Jews. And so he saw what was going on in Rome. He heard about it and he still wanted to go there to talk to the rest of the Jews. He, his heart was to reach them because he knew there was a good church in Rome. And he said, maybe I can get there and get those Jews saved, and they can join the church. But he just wanted to be refreshed on his way to Spain. He was going up to Spain. That was his whole plan. Paul wasn't sure what God wanted him to do completely, but he was sure he wanted to be in the center of the will of God. He didn't know what ministry God, he didn't know he was going to plant the first prison ministry in Rome with the help of some Jews and some Roman citizens. He didn't know that's what his mission was. He thought he was going there as a church planner and, and just a, an itinerant pastor. Verse 25, then, uh, but now I'm going to Jerusalem and minister to the saints for please those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain con contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So Paul is talking about the fact that he went to the Gentile churches and he said, hey, I'm going to take up a collection. I'm coming, I'm going to pick up a collection that I'm going to take to the Jews that are in Jerusalem because of the persecution, because I told you that they weren't able to buy and sell. They weren't able to market in Jerusalem. They needed help financially. And so Paul's saying, hey, these people are indebted to you because, uh, or you are indebted to them because they gave you the opportunity to be saved. See, God is now opening up salvation to the whole world. And because the Jews neglected their own salvation, and God opened it up to the, everyone, and so now the Gentiles are kind of indebted because of the fact you didn't, you didn't take it, but we're taking it. We listen, we believe, and we're taking that salvation uh, Upon ourselves. So the Jews now were the ones that were hurting, and the Gentiles were now. Remember, the Jews didn't like Gentiles. They didn't believe Gentiles should be saved. 
The only way that a Gentile could be saved is by becoming a Jew. Then they could be saved. So there was this misstep in the fact that, hold on, now Gentiles are saved without us? And so they liked them even less. And, and so now the Gentiles are giving them a gift to help them out, to help them survive what they're going through. And Paul is sending this gift to them, bringing it to them. And so now it's going to heal the wounds of the past. It's going to knock down those walls uh, that were there. And so, uh, therefore, when I have performed this and sealed this fruit, I shall go by way of uh, you to Spain. But I know when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so he's planning to go to Spain, but he's going to go through Rome first on his way to Spain. But he wants to first bring the fruit. The fruit wasn't apples and oranges. Uh, the fruit was the money that was coming from the Gentiles to the Jews. But it wasn't the money that was coming from the Gentiles to the Jews. You see, it was the fact that the Gentiles did it. That's the fruit. The fruit was developed when the Gentiles said, you know what, we need to do this to help the Jews. It didn't matter if they gave 50 cents or $500. The thing is that they gave so they can help. And what that is demonstrating was spiritual maturity. They learned from Jesus spiritual maturity in growing in their faith to give. Do we, have we got there yet? That's the struggle for every single believer in Jesus Christ. The struggle is, have we got to the point where we give, and I'm not talking financially, please. There's a donation box back there, fill it. You know, no, it's not that. Have we learned to give of ourselves sacrificially? Am I willing to do what God has called me to do to bless someone else, to help someone else? Sometimes it's financial. A lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's just coming alongside to pray for someone, to minister to someone, to just be a good listening ear, to be there to love someone. That is just as valuable but sometimes we're in a rush to accomplish the things we want to do rather than the things that God has called us to do. He wants, he wants to bless us. He wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. There's nothing that I can imagine that would be greater than that, to be used by God to accomplish his purposes. That's the greatest blessing. And I know that I'm never going to starve doing that. He's going to always provide everything that I need if I'm in the center of his will, doing his will. That's the same for all of us. It isn't just me. I'm not special because I'm Italian. See, I have those Roman roots, you know? And, and No, it, that's not it. It's the fact that God will use whoever surrenders to him. 
And that's all of us. He'll use all of us in that way. Verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so here's Paul saying, hey, pray for me in this. They weren't good prayer warriors because Paul did make it to Jerusalem. He did drop off the gift. They were blessed. He was arrested put on a ship that was in a storm for 14 days, getting all rocked. I was in the Navy. I know what that's like, you know. And I was in a big metal ship. He was in one that was falling apart. And then he ends up, the whole ship becomes shipwrecked. He ends up on the island of Malta, gets bit by a viper. I mean, he, he had a really good time. Boy, there was a lot of joy there, huh? He's serving the Lord. What was it? Was it the fact that he wasn't doing what the Lord wanted him to do, so that was just his punishment? No. He was directly in the center of the will of God. And how do I know that? Because he fulfilled everything God wanted him to do. He made it to Rome. He was there for two years as a prisoner in his own home. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to go out like he wanted to and minister to the Romans, but he was able to have people come and visit him. They were able to come to his house and visit him. So what was he doing? He was mentoring and discipling leaders that were going to go out and spread the good news. They weren't Paul. He was Paul. He was always going to be under the scrutiny of the Jews and the Roman leadership. So all he had to do was raise up others that no one knew. Who's that? Who's that guy? What, you know? And, and that guy goes out there and plants a church somewhere and just ministers. And so God fulfilled his purposes even though it wasn't part of Paul's plan. Paul would have written it differently. But he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. Even be shipwrecked. You know, even be bitten by a snake just to prove that it had no power over him. Because it was the power of God that saved him, that healed him, that kept him strong all that way. Paul prayed three times asking for the thorn in his side to be healed. How many of you have a thorn in their side? I know my brother John here is living right now with stage four cancer. And he has outdone what they expected. He's doing what God wants him to do. And he's living for his purposes. 
And so when we dedicate ourselves to what God wants to accomplish, that's when we're able to go above and beyond regardless of our situation, regardless of our thorn in the side. My grace is sufficient for you. And he proves that even today. And when people say, well, we don't see, you know, God, oh yeah, God's working exactly in the same way today. We're just not looking in the right places. And so when we stop looking at things that we expect to see and instead look to what God is doing, we'll start to see it. It'll start becoming clearer. The scales will drop and we'll take notice to what God is doing. And, you know, just like Paul's travel plans, we'll come up with our own plans, but they may not be executed exactly the way we expect. Amen?